America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is primary day, primary day in Georgia, in Alabama, in uh, Texas, in a number of states all across the country. Arkansas has a primary that was supposed to be close at one point. Well, it isn't close anymore. It looks like uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the former presidential press secretary, a very loyal press uh, spokesman for President Donald Trump, is going to be nominated for governor of Arkansas, which should allow her to replace the term-limited and excellent Asa Hutchinson, who's been uh, a terrific and very effective uh, governor for a couple of terms of the Razorback State. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. What's going on right now doesn't really have any precedence in the history of the United States. It just doesn't. It's new. It's different. It's strange. Uh, some people might find it inspiring. But you have a two-term, uh, pardon me, twice-running, twice-nominated vice president. He was elected for one term because he was running together with Donald Trump. That would be Mike Pence. Mike Pence is speaking openly for a candidate that Donald Trump has very strongly denounced. And in fact, it's not even clear that uh, when the election happens today, where Governor Brian Kemp, who was one of those governors who did his job and did it honorably and held the line, and didn't fall for any of the stuff about trying to overcome the election. Brian Kemp is going to win this race. He's going to run against Stacey Abrams, who is a bright star for the Democrats, though she's in a, a good deal of trouble for um, some remarks that she made that we played for you yesterday, where she said that, uh, that yes, uh, uh, Georgia may be a great place to do business, but it's a terrible place to live. Uh, we will we will get to that. The latest with Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, who are very likely to be running against one another. The most recent polling shows that uh, David Perdue, the uh, Trump endorsed candidate, the stop the steal candidate, the one who believes that Georgia has an obligation to try to overturn the election that occurred almost two years ago, that um, uh, David Perdue is now 14 points behind Brian Kemp. Now, usually that's considered to be definitive, but uh, Trump is speaking uh, electronically at, at rallies for David Perdue today. Mike Pence is speaking on the other side. Does this forecast a uh, serious challenge by Mike Pence against his former boss? if uh, Trump does run in 2024, and nobody knows whether he's actually going to run or not. Most people assume that he will. We will get to that. There's also something that is uniting Republicans and a lot of Jews and Christians, which is a resolution, a truly hateful resolution, introduced by Rashida Tlaib and the squad. It's a resolution uh, calling on the United States to formally recognize the Nakba. Nakba in Arabic means catastrophe. 
or disaster. And they're not here talking about uh, any of the war efforts. They're talking about the creation of the state of Israel. The, uh, the idea that you have one state in the Middle East that is a Jewish state. You have 26 states in the Middle East that are Arab states, but that somehow the creation of that one state in the Middle East has been a catastrophe. Is that something that the United States should uh, verify or support? There are actually an amazing number. Let's see. It's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman, Rashida Tlaib, Corey Bush, and uh, Betty McCollum and Marie Newman. Uh, they are supporting this particular resolution. It's just been condemned by the Coalition on Jewish Values, which represents 2,000 rabbis who are concerned about that. We will get to that issue. Uh, we will get to the claim that <laughs> this is just unbelievable. It's uh, something that was uh, posted by Hannah Jones, the author of uh, the 1619 Project, Pulitzer Prize winning author of the 1619 Project, and uh, one of the leading lights, of course, of CRT, of, uh, of critical race theory. She says, number one, the North did not fight the Civil War to end slavery. Uh, number two, love how you erase Haiti. Every other country ended slavery without needing to fight a war, and we were third to last in our hemisphere to abolish slavery. Uh, the, uh, the idea that uh, abolishing slavery wasn't the basis for the Civil War. The basis for the Civil War was, yes, number one, to preserve the Union. But the only way to preserve the Union was to fight against a uh, separate country where that country was based on slavery and that country called the Confederacy. We will get to this issue as well. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Here is what um, Mike Pence sounded like uh, yesterday speaking in Kennesaw, Georgia, asking uh, people to vote for Brian Kemp, the incumbent, very conservative Republican governor. This is clip 11. Listen. When you say yes to Governor Brian Kemp tomorrow, you will send a deafening message all across America that the Republican Party is the party of the future. I'm here because Brian Kemp frankly, is one of the most successful Republican governors in America. And I'm here because Brian Kemp is the only candidate in tomorrow's primary who has already defeated Stacey Abrams, whether she knows it or not. Okay, uh, what he's referring to, of course, is Stacey Abrams. Like some other candidates we could mention on the Republican side, never conceded when she lost by about 50,000 votes the uh, race for governor of Georgia. Now, it was a close race. She ran a very strong race. Uh, will she run a strong race this time? Uh, that partially will depend on whether people like David Perdue, who must feel, I mean, truly terrible today. He made some comments about Stacey Abrams that people are basically condemning as racist, saying that she betrayed and denigrated her own race when she was talking about 
how uh, Georgia was the worst place to live. Uh, all of this is probably not going to change the outcome of the gubernatorial race this time, but it shows what uh, what Brian Kemp, assuming that he does win the Republican nomination, will be up against when facing Stacey Abrams. First of all, there's more on the ongoing battle for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Mehmet Oz now has fallen below a 1,000-vote lead. He's getting to be below a 900-vote lead. There's an argument as to whether they can count mail-in ballots or should count mail-in ballots that were sent in properly, signed properly, but they didn't have the date on them outside. And these are ballots that arrived ahead of Election Day. Uh, should those ballots be counted or not? The entire election is so incredibly close between uh, Mehmet Oz and David McCormick that it may turn on this, and the Republican National Committee is saying that they favor the idea, which is considered to be a pro-Oz point of view, they favor the idea that, uh, no, you should need to have the date on the outside of the ballots. We will get to that controversy in addition to many more. There's also a last-minute disqualification of uh, the GOP frontrunner and four other Republicans in the state of Michigan disqualified from the ballot, thrown off. How? Why? Will that stick? We will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. of debate. Give me more. The Michael Medved Show. As if there weren't enough uh, divisive and uh, extreme arguments going on, there's a uh, two fights in Michigan that are very different, and both of them illustrate aspects of the United States that seems to just have gone wrong, broken down. The uh, headline in the Washington Post, and this is breaking less than an hour ago, is that five GOP candidates in Michigan ineligible after fraud, election office says. Now, the election office is completely controlled by Democrats in Michigan. And uh, five of the ten Republican candidates for the gubernatorial nomination, including the two front runners, including one of the most promising Republicans who was running for anything uh, in this upcoming election. His name is James Craig. He is a black cop, very conservative, very solid, not just on law enforcement issues, but on budgetary issues, everything else. He is considered to be the one guy who could give a very strong challenge to the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, who is one of President Trump's least favorite governors. And she's also somebody who's been increasingly mentioned as a potential Democratic candidate for president, given the fact that uh, when uh, President Biden announces that he won't run, and I think he will announce that at some point in the next year, uh, when President Biden announces that and when Kamala Harris shocks people into saying, oh, no, anybody else... Uh, Gretchen Whitmer would be Whitmer would be an obvious person to turn to. The other 
potential presidential candidate who's making a lot of noise about it recently is uh, Gavin Newsom, governor of California. But uh, the increasing idea that the Democrats are going to be turning to a governor and uh, also talking about uh, Governor Murphy of uh, New Jersey, by the way, and uh, governor in uh, North Carolina, who a Democrat uh, who is uh, considered to be a, a Democratic possibility for president. Now, again, those folks have some catching up to do in terms of name ID, but there's lots and lots of time before the presidential race. There isn't a lot of time before the Michigan primary. And the story is reported in the Washington Post, five of ten Republican candidates for the gubernatorial nomination in Michigan are ineligible to appear on the ballot because of invalid signatures on their nominating petitions. The Michigan Elections Bureau uh, reported the uh, invalid signatures in a report yesterday upending the race a little more than two months before the August primary. Those the Election Bureau said were ineligible include the former Detroit police chief, James Craig, who is the front runner, and a businessman named Perry Johnson, who's self-funding, who have been considered the leading candidates for the GOP nomination for Michigan governor. Others were Donna Brandenburg, uh, Michael Brown and Michael Marty. And Michael Brown is a uh, army veteran, good guy, solid. He, by the way, his, uh, his campaign wasn't going anywhere anyway. He has dropped out now. He has said, okay, they're trying to keep him off the ballot. He's not going to run. But uh, the Michigan Board of State Canvassers, which is made up of two Democrats and two Republicans, is going to meet Thursday to discuss the Election Bureau's report and rule on whether the candidates can appear on the August 2nd primary ballot. If they rule that they can't, if they are not given a chance to correct these signatures, and certainly they have time to do it, and they're, they're both very close, uh, they're all very close, frankly, to the number of signatures they need. If they actually block the Republicans from running a competitive race against Gretchen Whitmer, there will be um, screams of bloody murder, and including from me. And it's not quite murder, but it sure does seem like election cheating. State investigators identified 36 people who circulated petitions submitting fraudulent petition sheets consisting entirely of invalid signatures according to an Elections Bureau report published Monday night. Now, if that is true, those people ought to go to jail, and uh, we ought to know about it. In total, the Bureau estimates that these circulators submitted at least 68,000 invalid signatures submitted across 10 sets of nominating petitions. The report stated, in several instances, the number of invalid signatures submitted by these circulators was the reason a candidate had an insufficient number of valid signatures. The uh, gubernatorial candidates were required to collect at least 15,000 valid signatures each to appear on the ballot. According to the Elections Bureau, Craig's campaign submitted 11,113 invalid signatures and only uh, 10,119 facially valid ones. And, uh, okay... <sighs> This is one of those things that really does need to be cleared up. But it's not the only ridiculous fight that is going on in Michigan right now. 
I mentioned, and actually it's not Michigan, it's Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, there's a fight about the pronoun police coming for middle schoolers. Uh, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today by the leaders of a WILL. WILL stands for the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. And um, it uh, says, for most people, the term Title IX investigation calls to mind allegations of rape, groping, unwanted sexual advances, or a pervasive pattern of verbal abuse. Think again. Wisconsin's Keele Area School District, and again, we've spoken about this on the air before, uh, in deep red Manitowoc and uh, Calumet counties along the western shores of Lake Michigan, has uncovered a new form of harassment. On April 25th, they accused three eighth grade boys of sexual harassment and launched a federal Title IX investigation. This is for a federal crime for something called mispronouncing. What does that mean? These children, eighth graders, uh, actually, these children used her, ouch, to refer to a classmate who had asked to be called them. This was a non-binary classmate who didn't want to be called her or she anymore. It's easy to dismiss this as bizarre. You won't find mispronouncing in the Wisconsin statutes or U.S. code. It hardly resembles the egregious aggression that we associate with harassment. It doesn't, in and of itself, constitute a uh, so serious, pervasive, and objectively uh, offensive conduct that it effectively denies a person equal education. That's what's in Title IX. That's as Title IX law and harassment requires. But the stain that such a charge could leave on these boys' reputations, federal charges, and the harm inflicted upon their futures is real. The boys' parents first heard about the charges, that they had used the word her to refer to a them. Then they received a call from the district that their sons were about to be charged with sexual harassment under federal Title IX. So what happens here? We'll bring you the very latest and more coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Okay, it truly is not a joke. It sounds like it is. And, and again, I guess we're going to be sort of short on political humor because there are so many members of the Saturday Night Live team who are retiring, uh, saying farewell to Kate McKinnon and Pete Davidson. I guess he's got his hands full. Can we use that? terminology with uh, concerning his relationship with Kim Kardashian um, uh, probably let's not go there okay where we we are going is to this honestly insane matter in the most conservative part of the state of Wisconsin in the Keel area school district and there are three 13 year olds they're eighth graders. They're young kids who are being charged with sexual harassment because there's a female 
in uh, or a former female at least in their class who would ask to be called uh, them uh, and uh, that uh, them and they so that they wanted to be called they and each of these three boys apparently un unwittingly and unintentionally and they've already apologized referred to her as she and her and okay so this is now a title nine title nine is the part of the civil rights bill of 1964 that has to do with protecting the civil rights of women it protects women against sexual harassment they are charging these young men with sexual harassment this entire thing is insane uh, the boys parents first heard about the charges when they received a call from the district that their sons were about to be charged with sexual harassment under federal law title nine civil rights bill there had been no prior warning or discussions with the families about a uh, pronoun use at school how they had to use the pronoun they to refer to this one young uh, former female uh, the discussions with the families about the pronoun use at school nor did the district initially explain what the boys had done to warrant being investigated for a violation of federal law when when the families were finally informed that uh, the alleged sexual harassment the uh, the boys potential federal offense was was using incorrect pronouns terror quickly turned to bewilderment is this real this has to be a joke thought Rose Rabadou who's one of the parents when the parents reached out to us and this is written by the president and the general counsel of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty which is a conservative think tank in uh, in Wisconsin when the parents reached out to us at the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty we had the same reaction this can't be real alas it is the district appears to believe that once a student announces different pronouns to others, any subsequent use of the biologically and grammatically correct pronouns, even when uh, not directed to the student, may be punishable as sexual harassment under Title IX. We hope Keel is an outlier, they write, but it may not be. A school board in Virginia is reportedly considering adding a policy to prohibit malicious misgendering holy cow I would hope that Governor Yunkin new governor in Virginia can do something about that can you imagine being brought up for charges on a malicious misgendering the Biden administration is about to unveil its long-awaited update oh boy to title IX regulations and given the president's pronouncement and transgender discrimination is a civil rights issue of our time it wouldn't be surprising at all if the new rules call for the policing of pronouns all of this may soon be coming to a school near you they conclude saying this episode doesn't have to become a federal lawsuit but if the district follows through and punishes these boys full solely for mispronouncing meaning misuse of a pronoun using an inappropriate pronoun they said then uh, we will take up their case and it will be a federal lawsuit says unreal and then there's this debate 
about uh, Stacey Abrams. And uh, she initially made a comment at a Democratic gala, which have now been uh, hit by David Perdue in what is alleged to be some kind of racist commentary or controversy. The um, uh, Here's what uh, Stacey Abrams said just a couple of days ago about her state being the worst in the country. This is clip 21. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. Now, somebody's going to try to politifact me on this, so let me contextualize. When you're number 48 for mental health, when you're number one for maternal mortality, when you have an incarceration rate that's on the rise and wages that are on the decline, then you're not the number one place to, do, to live in the United States, but we can get there. Okay, so uh, David Perdue, who is running, uh, one of the Republicans running for uh, the chance to take on Stacey Abrams, she is basically unopposed for the Democratic nomination. David Perdue made a comment that she was basically, by saying that Georgia was the worst place to live, she was um, being contemptuous, was undermining, was showing disrespect for her own race. And, um, and and this is all that uh, Stacey Abrams has to say in response to that, defending her previous comment. This is clip 14. I, I think it was an artfully delivered. Uh, my point was a point that I've made many times, and my passion in making this point is important because we are listening to Brian Kemp, Give, a, give narrative about a record that does not reflect reality. The more I go around the state, the more I talk to people who are deeply in pain. And so my point is well intended, which is that for so many Georgians, this is not the number one place to be, but we have the capacity for greatness. And if people didn't splice the pieces they like and actually listen to my entire narrative, my point is that I want more for Georgia. I believe in our greatness. Okay, and then she also believes that with Georgia's skyrocketing turnout, I mean, there have been lots and lots of early voting. A lot of people are coming to this primary on both sides. Stacey Abrams uh, talked about Jim Crow 2.0, clip 19. The question about voter suppression and voter turnout is causation without correlation. We, I'm sorry, you can make mistakes even when you know what you're talking about. It's correlation without causation. We know that increased turnout has nothing to do with suppression. Okay, increased turnout has nothing to do with suppression. You're right, it doesn't, because it's, but it's an indication that suppression is not occurring. In other words, if you're seeing increased turnout every year, and the turnout, particularly in the black community, goes up and up and up, uh, how does that not give indication that whatever attempts she may perceive or decry as allegedly voter suppression, that those attempts, if they even exist in any capacity, are completely fictitious and illegitimate. And by the way, just try to imagine, what would Stacey Abrams say? The, the black candidate who was the front runner for governor of Michigan on the Republican side is being thrown off the ballot, uh, at least unless that changes on Thursday when they have a meeting of a board.
Can you imagine if he had been a Democrat, a black Democrat running for governor and he had been a front runner and this former police chief of the state's biggest city was thrown off the ballot on technicalities about voter signatures? Can you imagine the outrage, the indignation? We will be right back on The Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Are you insane? I don't think so. The Michael Medved Show. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Michael Medved show, um, the uh, mayor of Kiev, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, uh, gave some fairly encouraging words about the goals of Ukraine. And uh, the goals of Ukraine that Klitschko, who is a former very prominent world's championship professional boxer, big guy too, uh, he... Um, he has a very simple and direct and important goal, which if you have been following this war at all, uh, it's a, a goal that you can't help but endorse. This is 1.5. Our main priority right now, stop the war. The last soldier have to leave Ukraine, our territory, and uh, our territorial independence, and, and territorial and, uh, integrity. It's main priority for us and after that the best what we have to do it give the services to all ukrainians to bring the investment to develop the country okay <laughs> basically a very simple goal remove all russian troops from our country there's several news items about how some of that new american weaponry that the senate just authorized uh, weaponry or similar weaponry is already taking part in the struggle and making a difference in uh, Ukraine. Uh, Secretary of Defense General Lloyd Austin says uh, that there are 20 more nations that have now committed additional military aid to Ukraine. Listen, 1.7. We also heard some very welcome announcements this morning about even more security assistance for Ukraine. That includes some 20 countries that announced new security assistance packages. Many countries are donating critically needed artillery ammunition, coastal defense systems, and tanks and other armored vehicles. Others came forward with new uh, commitments for training Ukraine's forces and sustaining its military systems. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, President Zelensky, meanwhile, did an interview with Axios. And uh, he spoke, and, and of course he has a background as an actor, uh, a movie star, and very much a television star in Ukraine. But uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky in that interview with Axios talked about repeated assassination attempts on his life and he made a, a movie comparison, a clip 20. 
any person when it comes to you for the first time you are afraid on the second or the third and the fourth time but when it's become it becomes repetitive you remember that uh, film uh, the, the um, um, groundhog um, day uh, with uh, bill murray and uh, he didn't want it to repeat you know he was uh, living through the day on and on again people were spending their money investing the efforts uh, they tried so i was prepared to help them but uh, i uh, wake up in the morning it's still the same so i'm quite philosophical about this situation okay again but can you imagine what it would mean when there were constant attempts on his life and what's hilarious to me is just earlier this morning the uh, Kremlin released information that there was an assassination attempt against Putin now supposedly this occurred before the invasion before February 24th before he invaded Ukraine if that was even vaguely true don't you think you would have heard about it and uh, there would have been a, a fairly <laughs> energetic strike back by the uh, authorities in Putin's government I mean really the uh, th there is a uh, uh, also a uh, clip 55 about another assassination plot uh, this one against an American target uh, listen U.S. to assassinate former President George W. Bush. It's part of an ongoing and long-running investigation. There is no threat to the former president, I understand. Uh, joining me now, NBC News Justice Correspondent Pete Williams and Frank Figlusi, former FBI Assistant Director and MSNBC National Security Analyst. Pete, Forbes first reported on this. What do we know? Well, Andrea, it's quite clear now from reading the court documents in this case that there never really was any threat to the president. This is certainly a person who wanted to try to do harm to the president, but never had the capability to do anything. And it's quite clear that the FBI initially got interested in him because he was trying to smuggle people into the U.S. for money. There's no suggestion when the FBI began to, to pay attention to him that he was trying to smuggle terrorists in here. He just wanted to smuggle in people who were not otherwise legally able to enter the country from Iraq to make money. Uh, his name is Shihab Ahmed Shihab Shihab, and according to court documents, he is from Iraq. He entered the U.S. in September 20, uh, and there's some indication that he himself committed visa fraud when he entered the country. But that's when the FBI began to have two undercover operatives talk to him uh, constantly record conversations with him when he discussed his idea about bringing people in here to make money and then as the conversations went along at one point he begins to talk about his connections to ISIS he says that he drove trucks and vehicles around Iraq that had explosives in them that were used to attack Americans whether that's true or not there's no suggestion in the court documents that's his claim and then as the months went by, he said he wanted to bring in four or five or maybe six Iraqis who would be willing to join him in a plot to assassinate the former president. Okay, uh, Shihad Ahmed Shihad Shihad, Shihab Shihab. Okay, 
Again, and not a name that's easy to forget. There's another name that ought to be remembered and actually honored, and the name is a Russian. His name is Boris Bondarev. Uh, he is a Russian diplomat who just spoke out against Putin and against the war. I guess he's not going home. He's in Switzerland right now. They got Ukraine wrong. They got the West wrong. They basically got everything wrong. Everything uh, Boris Bandarev said about the Kremlin. He said, um, he said that he knew several diplomats who had all resigned quietly after the war began, though it was impossible to verify that claim. There are people, not so few people, who I think as who think as I do. He said, but they must, I think, are st uh, still in the thrall of this propaganda that they receive and that they may in part create. The Kremlin has gone to extraordinary lengths to silence dissent on the war. On state television, the war's opponents are regularly branded as traitors. A uh, law signed by Mr. Putin in March punishes false information about the war, potentially defined as anything that contradicts the government line, which means even calling it a war. It's supposed to be a special military action. He says they got Ukraine wrong, they got the West wrong, they basically got everything wrong. He said, referring to the Kremlin's view of the world before the invasion, we diplomats of the foreign ministry are also at fault for this, for not passing along the information that we should have, for smoothing it out and presenting it as though everything was great. He also said, and this is kind of impossible to get out of your mind, he said that uh, there are people in the uh, Foreign Service that he has spoken to in the Kremlin who uh, talk about using nuclear weapons all the time. And they talk particularly about using a small-scale nuclear bomb, he says, to obliterate some village in the interior of America. <laughs> what, does, what does that mean? Uh, and he says, and then they feel certain that the Americans will get down on their knees and will crawl uh, to Moscow to ask uh, for surrender. I, I think if, if Putin is basing his foreign policy on that assumption, first of all, to find a, mil a village in America that uh, could be hit by a nuclear weapon without a fairly prompt and energetic American response. It's, it's, it's scary, but it's nuts, like so much else uh, that goes on around us. What about this uh, uh, remarks by President Biden? Has it been more clarified about clearing away the idea of strategic ambiguity? Are we going to stand by Taiwan or not? It looks like we will. And how is it that one in three Americans, according to Gallup, say the pandemic is over? Could they be right? And uh, we also have a pastor who says Democrats are demons and baby butchers and not welcome in his church. That and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.